Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty podcast with me, Rich Gulick. I'm very excited for the show today. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, so joining me today is uh, Dave Wright, or as you may may well know him, he is FF underscore Spaceman. So Dave, how are you doing? Doing well. Really excited to be joining you, Rich. This is this has been on the calendar for a while now. I am amped up to talk about everything you have on the show sheet today. Looking forward to it. Yeah, no, th- thank you so much for uh, for coming on. As as you said, it's it's been a while in the making, but uh, but very excited to be doing it. And um, so the the kind of the plan of today is I've got Dave on because what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take a, I guess an introduction to analytics within fantasy football um so for those of you who don't know dave's one of the best out there in terms of what he does um and so i, I was very keen to get him on to, to really talk through and kind of introduce the more analytical side um within kind of specifically fantasy football so dave i guess starting back at the beginning how did you kind of get into fantasy football Is it something you've been playing since you were a kid or so i think it all comes from i loved baseball growing up and I love playing it, watching it. And I think part of baseball is you love the stats that go with it. And I always kind of also enjoyed sorting and organizing things too. Like I enjoyed baseball cards, army men, Legos. And I'm not sure if you guys know, but Magic the Gathering was a thing back in the day when I was younger. And I think like kind of like that repetitive process like or, and organizing thing, I think that's a perfect primer to dealing with large amounts of data and stats. So that's kind of what drew me or I wouldn't say like how I got into fancy, but that's how I got into the, like maybe how I was kind of conditioned to, to like the stats part instead of maybe watching film and stuff. Okay. I have to say, I've never heard of that thing you said. What was that? Magic the gang. Yeah. What, what is that? It's just like a card game. Have you ever heard of Pokemon or. Uh, okay. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like a fantasy aspect to it. Um, that is a little bit more niche and fantasy sci-fi than pokemon was right okay okay yeah i was i was big into pokemon back in the day but, but certainly never heard of that so 
and then did, when did you kind of start falling into kind of fancy football over baseball and that sort of thing? So I guess my love for baseball eventually found its way into fantasy sports. I think early 2000s, I think like 2002 was my first fantasy baseball league. Uh, and with baseball too, you can't day all the team or like all 32 teams are going to play another game the next day, five days a week, six days a week. So you got to kind of precondition me to get used to using stats to try to find an edge. And early on back then, the early two thousands, like, or 2000, yeah, early two thousands, you can't, and knowing injury news gave you an edge over your competition, especially in fantasy football. But as fantasy sites began to develop and more and more people start being drawn to fantasy football, sites started to include their general. I've been playing with the same crews for a long, long time now, and I, I just kept on getting deeper and deeper in, in analytics. And so, but then the jump from just finding stats and stuff, I was like, all right, I got to find targets. Like tar- back in the early 2000s, targets was, was like gold back in the day. And then... As I kept pushing, I found some pods early on, like podcasts early on, and not there were not a lot of fantasy football pods back in the day, just the major, the big podcasts back in the day. But then I found early on, and after I started hearing some of these advanced metrics, like just market share or dominator rating, I, I fell in love with it. Nice. And, and so once you started then kind of producing those stats and, and producing the, the kind of, you know, your models and things like that, were you using that purely for your own purposes or, or was the aim that you then start kind of sharing it? I guess, you know, what was the content side content production, your aim, or was it just for personal? Yeah. So I first, so I first started hearing about like player, player profile or Matthew Kelly, they had college dominator was the first I had seen, it, but Rotoviz had been doing it for a long time as well. Rotoviz.com. And then, so what I, what I heard, you know, so I'm like, Oh man, I want, I want to, there's certain players dating back. They don't have it. And you know, they don't have these players. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to go create my own database, put everything that I want. Peter Howard had his own, was the only other person I really knew who had a, their own database. And I love Peter's, but I want, I kept on, I felt like a jerk. Hey, Peter, can you add this? Or this is wrong. Or can you do this? So I was like, you know what? I just, I'm going to do my own thing. My wife at the time, or actually she's still my wife. <laughs> I should say that, but she uh, she had totally different work schedule than me. She was working uh, from three to eleven, and I was working from seven to three. So I had all this time to myself. So basically, forty hours a week for a year, I just created this prospect database that has over two thousand players in it, dating back to two thousand three. And after I released that for everyone to publicly use, so I, I spent literally hundreds and hundreds of hours for a year making this database. Lisa for free. And then like three or four websites came to me. Hey, you want to come right for us? And so, yeah, that's kind of how it worked. Good stuff. Well, well, first of all, thank you very much for taking the time to produce the, uh, the database. Cause uh, I have to say I've used it an awful lot. So, uh, so it's fantastic. And oh, that, that's, just, it makes me feel good because sometimes I feel like, I mean, I hope people are using this thing because this, this took a lot of time. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. Yours and, and Pete Howard's uh, databases are my Bible. Um, yeah. They're, they're absolutely fantastic. And so do you try to, when you're approaching kind of the the data side of things, are you looking at for specific stats? Are you looking at, you know, some stats more than others? Are you trying to use it to build a, I guess, an overall picture? How how are you kind of looking at things to build what what you want from it? So that's a good question um, because sometimes I think we're too often looking for that skeleton key stat or the holy grail of stats to get that's gonna you know give us the key to unlocking just plug it in and that's gonna give us how this player gonna be good or not and i think that's a mistake so i like to but i should also say do a caveat i think it's important to differentiate if we're evaluating prospects and incoming college players versus evaluating current nfl players because if i'm evaluating current nfl players i am more it's a lot it's a it's a similar playing field the nfl in general is way more even and we've got a, you know, it's more apples to apples than when we're talking about college, which is it's, you've got power five conferences, you've got small conferences, you've got FCS, you've got division two, you've got big, even within these big conferences, you've got good teams, bad teams, good competition, bad. So it's really tough to account for all of that. So I think it's important to differentiate that when I'm, when I'm in working with the NFL players, I'm more, yeah, I'm, 
I'm I'm not trying to paint a picture. I'm just kind of like trying to describe how they're how they're producing. Whereas for pro- evaluating prospects, I'm more trying to say this is the type of player they are. This is how they do in certain five, six different metrics or categories, let's say, and then build a paint the picture you're talking about with prospects. Do you find then that the you know NFL stats year on year are far more predictive than looking at a, a specific set of college stats and trying to project that person into the NFL? Yeah, hundred percent. Because you know we can, we have so much. The quality of stat in the NFL is just so much. It's better quality. Like when we're it's I can't even get reliable target data for college prospects. And think about what that means. Like targets. That's something we had for. NFL dating back to like 2005, we've been having target or 2007, we've been having target data that readily available for the NFL. And look how far we've come with different advanced metrics. And I still can't get, I mean, I can get it, but I can't get it dating back. So I can't compare Rondale Moore to, uh, let's to Larry Fitzgerald as a prospect because I can't, because I can't, they didn't, I, they didn't have targets for Larry Fitzgerald. So it's, it gets really difficult to do that. And, yeah, year in, year out. I, it's just so much. The player pool is just more apples to apples. And I can test data so much more easily in the NFL than compared to college because I have to factor in injuries, draft capital. There's just so much that goes into evaluating college prospects compared to NFL. It, it, it's mind boggling. So, yeah, I, if I was, it's so much easier once you get a, call, a player into the NFL than projecting them what they're going to be like in the NFL and do you find that once a player kind of moved team potentially you know we've obviously seen over the last few weeks some pretty big names moving in free agency do you find that that level of kind of predictiveness translates across teams or or not as well Rich Rebar formerly for Roto World I believe and all I think he writes for sharpfootballanalysis.com now he's done a lot of work evaluating how wide receivers, when they change from team to team, that they're not usually as effective in year one. Now, that changed a lot with Stefan Diggs and certain other players over the years where you don't see that. Uh, that uh, you didn't, Stefan Diggs even did better, almost, you could say, when he moved to Buffalo. And I think what happens is, is there's some selection bias or there's some survivorship bias there, which is a type of bias where we don't see the good players the good wide receivers don't move teams because teams don't want to lose their good players usually. And they retain the best of the best players in general. So not a lot of good wide receivers are moving teams. So you're not catching that in the data when you're evaluating when, when team wide receivers move from squad to squad. So what I'm, so I guess what I would say is on the, on the whole, I would say it's not always a great thing to be moving teams, but I'm not going to let that deter me when there's a, high quality player who's moving teams uh, because you know money speaks the nfl too they're going to invest in that player they're going to want to use that player too so so do you think that's a a very common misconception with you know people looking at stats and looking at data and things and and taking a piece of information and trying to create a solution or a rule based off the back of it when actually as you said you know there's a lot of um you know use survivorship there's a lot of different elements that you could use that essentially you're taking the wrong rule from, from a piece of data or something. 100%. I think often what happens is, so I'm, I'm actually, I work in applied behavior analysis for my, my day job, which is applying behavioral research for kids with autism or special needs. That's so what I'm, what I'm doing is, and what's happened is, is what I've learned through that is that often we're not, it's the principles that you're trying to use in science or in statistics or whatever are not wrong. You're just using them wrong or misapplying them. And I think that's what happens a lot, especially I'm an amateur. I'm not, I'm not, I am not an expert at all when it comes to, I'm, I'm just an amateur trying to learn how to be a st- status, like to learn stats and stat, uh, statistics. And as I learn, I'm learning, oh my God, like if I looked at what I thought I knew two years ago and I was to look at that now as like, oh, it's, it's ugly to think about the decisions I was making based off that data. So it's just about learning and trying to understand that we don't have the full picture and evolving and realizing that best practice is improving your practice and using data the right way 
is highly important because you could have the best stats in the world. You could have premium, premium access to like pro PFF steps. And you can see the people who do have access to that, but they're really misapplying it and coming to the wrong conclusions because they don't, they don't understand how stats and metrics work and how they work together. So it's really interesting and important to know how stats, how to use stats correctly or else you're going to come to just, you know, it's almost as if it's almost as if you might as well not even know the stat because you could have had a better get, get just flipping a coin to make a decision. So do you, do you think that's the most common misconception with kind of data usage by the, I guess the fantasy football community, or do you think there's something else that is more commonly a mistake made as such? The misconceptions with like data and data analysis or, or advanced stacks in football is that one, you don't have to be James Bond to be a statistician. I know I look like James Bond. You can see my video. I look like Daniel Craig and you don't have to be like that to, to handle the nerds. So I don't want to, anyone who's trying to become a nerd, they don't have to be as sexy as I am. All right. So of course, but no, the, the biggest misconception I would say is that you one, you don't have, there's a cut. There's a lot of misconceptions. And I think it's one is to be, to do data analysis or to do work with analytics. You don't have to be smart. I'm living embodying that. You don't have to be good at math or good at numbers or spreadsheets to understand advanced metrics. And one reason I say that is because there is so many free resources and people who are willing to help. I'm self-taught. I didn't go to school to to as a statistician. I, I've learned things by Googling things and, and reaching out to people who, who are smart and, and are experts. And they're telling me and helping me out. So I think that's the biggest thing is that it's a bunch of, you have to be really analytically driven and knowledgeable to, to use advanced metrics. I think it's one misconception. And two, I think also that nerd nerdy people or people who do actually use the stats don't know anything about football. I watch a ton of football. I, that's all I do on Sundays, watch football. That's all I do on Mondays. And I think it was like every day of the week this year with how the COVID schedule works. So I, just because people who like uh, football doesn't mean they don't understand it. Cause I think that's a common uh, barb at people who use analytics is that, oh, they don't know. They don't know how the game works. And I don't think that's fair. Just like how a lot of misconceptions are made about people who watch film going. So that's kind of a long way to answer your question of, I think the biggest problem with data is how we use it, not the actual stats that we have. And and do you think that, that there's, there's an easy solution for that? Or do you think it's just a case of when people are going to be looking at data they're going to be trying to find solutions rather than apps kind of taking what the data's told them and such so i think you really summarized it up pretty well and i should also say too when i'm talking about analytics or data or whatever however you want to phrase work playing around with numbers on a spreadsheet is is that there it comes down to the descriptive versus predictive metrics and i think that's the key part of the crux and that's my i have a so with me, I tend to be very critical of film people because one, it sounds like when I'm listening to a lot of film analysis, they're speaking a lot of stats and numbers to me. So they're, oh, how many catches they had? And, and I hear a lot of that. So that's always kind of, I find intriguing is that how much numbers analysis there are in film work. And two is that I don't, the same problems that with people who don't use analytics correctly or numbers correctly, they're maybe relying on numbers that are telling us what's happened, what's going to happen instead of telling us what's going to happen in the future. I think the same issue happens with film is that I'm I'm listening to someone describe to me what's happening. And I can, I've watched football my whole life. I can do a pretty decent job breaking down a lot of mechanical things with football and how to correctly do things. But I can't tell you what is going to what about a route runner or about something on film that's going to predict what's going to happen in the future and help me with fantasy football. So I think that same issue that happens with numbers happens with with film in that we get caught up too much telling people what's happening instead of what's going to happen in the future. And also, too, a problem I have with film. One, I should say that I think it's the perfect world. It's marriage. And I, this is like a generic answer. You hear a lot of people say this. And it's like, oh, the best is to use both and have someone that you really respect. I, I rely on 
numbers and analytics for my process, a lot of it. But I have several people who I trust a lot, like Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies, Dummies podcast and Jay Mike Check from Dynasty Dummies and Open Bar. Those are two guys that I really respect their process because what I like is they have a process. They have things that they're looking for specifically, and they've tried and they track it. They're not just describing what happens because they are really concerned about what's going to happen, how that translate to the NFL or to future success, not just tell me what's happening. Um, so I guess, Dave, one of the kind of biggest misconceptions and one of the biggest things we hear about constantly on, on Twitter and within the community is this sort of film versus analytics debate. And I think touching on what you talked about there is, you know, you, you don't have to be an expert to work with kind of analysis and, and data and that kind of thing. And I think that my biggest issue with people who kind of classify themselves as, as film experts is exactly that. You don't need to, you know, be a film expert to look at a piece of footage and say, yeah, this, this guy ran a crisp route or something like that. Do you think that there's a, a similarity between the two, as in the, the film analytics debate? Do you think that there's a, a benefit to using both or, or where do you kind of sit on that side of the fence? That's a really good question. I think it's really difficult to analyze quarterbacks through numbers. So I think you can still do quarterbacks, but it's just difficult. I think quarterback evaluation is hard no matter what tools, film. There's so much that goes into evaluating quarterback that it's difficult. So I think just one, just using numbers for quarterbacks is even more challenging than maybe you say wide receivers or running backs. Uh, wide receivers is my favorite to do because I think they, it is exciting. I just find it exciting to, to p- how to paint a wide receiver. There's so many different types of wide receivers. There's more wide receivers on the field. So I think, yeah, to, to, to kind of answer your question in the specific, like, yeah, I think there's numbers are a great way to look at across all positions though. The way I break down veterans. So I'll start on uh, zoom out a little bit is one. I like to look at the team itself and understand how the team is working and how the volume on the team they're in, how much they're throwing, how much they're rushing and kind of understanding from a team-based perspective and then zoom in a little bit. And then when I get to the play down to a player level, I really break down veterans in a, in two main ways, opportunity and efficiency. You can't score. So you can't score fancy points when you only touch the ball. You can't score 20 fancy points when you only touch the ball one time. You can't do it. There's, I, I did all the work. There's no, you can't score 20, 20 fancy points on one touch. Now you can't now, uh, but you also are going to lose opportunities if you're very inefficient with your volume. So it's understanding volume, understanding opportunity, and then understanding efficiency is really important when evaluating NFL players because there's a second part to that too, is because when say a player is being extremely efficient, you can go back to how history and how in previous, you know, previous players that there's this type of player who's scoring touchdowns at an insane level or way up producing their volume. They're going to revert back to the mean just based on history. So I think that's really important how to understand evaluating just as a general overall feeling is through volume and efficiency. And now breaking it down in particular for, for positions, quarterbacks at the NFL level, I really look at their volume basically is pretty simple. How many pass attempts per game? I look at their, and that's just, if I'm in a spreadsheet and I want to look at volume, I look pass attempts per game. But I also too, if I want a little extra context to that, I go to sharpfootballstats.com. And I can, and I, there's a, a tool that looks at pass to run ratio and, and I can, you can filter it to me into neutral game scripts because that idea is it, it's outside if they're winning outside or they're losing outside of two minutes drill, which is always pass. But if you look at that rate, that's going to basically tell you the volume of play a team, a player is going to get in general outside of all these other things. So I like to, to supplement that. And then I move to efficiency for me, which are, Pretty basic stats. I, I think most people have probably heard these. I'm not sure about your audience, Rich, but completion percentage over expected is a stat that I love. Originally created by Josh Hermsmeyer, but basically it takes in the depth of the target, 
takes in the 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 difficulty of the opponent and talks about the ex- if a, a pass is expected to be complete or not. And then based on that formula, it how plus or minus how accurate that quarterback was based on their their level of difficulty of the throw. So, you know, if someone's two like plus two percentage points over expected, that's that's okay. But then you get people like Josh Allen last year who are like six, seven over expected. And that's just a really sticky stat that I like, or that just evaluates how well they're playing. Adjusted adjusted yards per attempt is another great stat where it takes how, you know, it combines touchdowns, yards, and interceptions and divides it by attempts. And that's a very effective and sticky efficiency metric. And then also my, one of my favorite stats for quarterbacks is completion percentage in a clean pocket. And the idea is that, you know, pressure and blitzing makes it difficult to throw the ball. But when you do in a clean pocket and you take that out of, you know, because O-line play fluctuates from year to year, but when your accuracy in a clean pocket does not, it's a lot, a very sticky stat from year to year. I like to see that set a lot. And then I also then rounding out for quarterbacks. I like to look at TD rate and TDs per passing yards for a player or how many passing yards they have per touchdown, because I want to look at, are they being overly lucky? Are they overly lucky in their touchdown column? Because if you look at like Matt Ryan, for example, he's had a pretty, pretty constant, his passing yards and attempts are pretty stable year to year, but his TD rate kind of fluctuates and that's how his good years and bad years have been. So understanding how the TD rates are working and TDs per passing yards is going to tell you, are they due to revert? Are they look to have some actual positive luck, let's say. So that's kind of how I look at quarterbacks. You want me to keep going for the running backs and wide receivers, or is this kind of what you're looking for? Yeah, I've I've got one question about you. So in regards to the TD rate, so someone like uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think he was at 9.1% TD rate this year, whereas his um, career average is about 6.3%. So are you looking at him and almost projecting uh, him to regress to the mean potentially next year or? Yeah, I just think it's it's bad business to, or it's just, you don't play the odds. The odds are, if someone, I mean, what Aaron Rodgers did this year as far as TD rate, it was, I think it's pretty historic. I, I forget, as you know, the season fades, you kind of forget how well historically that was, but it was a great TD rate. Like, that's, a, and he, and he had been kind of middling the last couple of years in that stat. So to see that kind of jump, I would expect it to revert a little bit, but not to the point where, because Aaron, we know Aaron Rodgers is a good quarterback. So it's not like I think that he's going to have a bad season or it just, I don't, I think it's to count on him to throw that many touchdowns and not have as many team rushing touchdowns might be just, I'm, if I'm not going to bet on that, I'd rather bet on historical averages while knowing that Aaron Rodgers is a good quarterback and him to be above average is not unexpected, but to be historic year in, year out, that's, that's not a good bet. I guess it comes back to that that point you made earlier about not just taking a rule from this one piece of data, but trying to build a picture of, okay, Aaron Rodgers is likely to, you know, potentially see a, a slight drop in that, but don't take it as he will absolutely reduce. It's a start building a picture of what. Yeah. Look at Russell Wilson. He's consistently been above like a way above average his entire career at TD rate. And sometimes you just have to assume that some players are just more efficient than others. And, while that does fluctuate within season, and it did this year for Russell Wilson, clearly that's why we saw such a strong start and him to fade down the stretch. But he still had above average TD rate, so so you just that's kind of just how to understand how touchdowns work. Touchdowns are the most unpredictable and variable volatile stat in football because only one player can score a touchdown essentially, per, you know, on a certain play. Well, I guess you can throw the ball and catch the ball, but the idea is. That's only one person. And then that that's very volatile game to game, week to week. So betting on touchdown production is a losing bet in general. Is is that followed across to the sort of running back position or are there other, I guess, key stats you're looking at there? Yeah, touchdowns for running backs, touchdowns for wide receivers. You can look at if you look at all the great look at DeAndre Hopkins, look at Larry Fitzgerald, look at Julio Jones, these good players, they have their, their height years. They are usually are accompanied with a good touchdown rate. 
But year in, year out, these great players are still having these elite target shares, elite market share of air yards, and and just a role in that offense. You can bank on that opportunity, and you just hope to get lucky with some TD luck to really achieve those those epic seasons, those league-winning seasons. But in order to do that, you've got to have that league-winning volume, which a Devontae Adams has, which a DeAndre Hopkins has, Julio Jones. So that's why you bet on the volume and you hope the TDs follow it. But week to week, I'm, I'm season to season, I'm much more in tune with what's happening from a volume standpoint than trying to predict the, t- the touchdowns. And so looking at, I guess, the, the running back and the wide receiver position specifically, we hear constantly about, oh, wide receiver so deep, wide receiver so deep. There's, you know, any number of guys that can score you 10 points in a week. Do you find that the running back where you're almost, you can guarantee that volume, you can almost pencil in carries and targets much more than you can perhaps outside of the elite wide receiver. Do you find that you're able to be more predictive with the running back side of things? Or do you think that there is just as much predictiveness to the wide receiver position? Yeah, you're going to get a lot of vol- volatility week to week with wide receivers just because because that weekly volume can be a little bit dependent on game script and and what have you, whereas those elite running backs have rushing upside and receiving upside. So they can. it's harder to get game scripted out for an Alvin Kamara, for a Dalvin Cook. So I'm always going to value the blue chip running backs over the – over the blue, uh, over the majority of wide receivers. Now, there's also things that go into running backs versus wide receivers. So <laughs> we could have three or four pods on this, honestly, man. But <laughs> because there's fragility that goes into it with running backs, and year to year, running backs, it's tough to, for them to repeat their top levels of production. And there's injuries you have to consider. Whereas wide receivers, you can those elite wide receivers, you can bank on that volume year to year. Now, like I said, those those touchdowns might not be there, but that that volume is there and that's stable and that's a lot more. It's a it's a safer bet. Whereas the running back position, volume is king for running backs, and you can see that drop. There's a lot of things that can drop that can cut into that volume very quickly, like injuries, like increased competition coaching changes, philosophy changes, whereas you're still going to see these elite wide receivers, you know, Julio Jones gets a new coach. He's still going to, Julio Jones is going to eat no matter what. And I think that's just DeAndre Hopkins is going to get a new coach. He's going to eat. I think that's just kind of something that you have to realize with with running backs. It's just a lot. There's a lot that goes into running back evaluation, whereas it's just volume is king for running backs. And it's a more, much more replaceable position at the NFL. Whereas wide receiver isn't. So to answer your question in a quick way too, is I don't quite buy into this wide receiver. You get anyone at wide receiver to, to replace what, you know, you can find anyone off the street to do wide receiver production. I don't buy into that because there's still only top. There's only 24 top wide receivers. No, you know what I'm trying to say? There's still yeah. people say, Oh, there's so many wide receivers. Well, there's still only 24 top ones. And I'd much rather have a top 24 wide receiver then a 12 to 14 running back. That RB2 range can get ugly week to week too. Yeah. And I think this is, I guess this is one of my um, kind of bread and butter statements that I kind of live by and that I always try to avoid those, what I class as kind of RB2 compilers, you know, someone like a Melvin Gordon that's going to get you somewhere between sort of eight to 15 points a week, depending on if he scores a touchdown or not. And I'd much rather have those elite wide receivers that I think are more predictive than a wide receiver three type. I'm trying to think of someone like a, um, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but that could get you 10 to 15 points in one week, but then could quite get you zero points the next. I just think that the, you know, the, the, the elite wide receivers are more predictive than the, the, the lesser wide receivers as such. I agree. I agree. Like, for example, you can get Gio Bernard, Wayne Gallman, all these these running backs, these backup handcuff running backs. 
they come off the street and you can basically guess their volume pretty easily. But a backup wide receiver, they're not going to get DeAndre Hopkins' role. That's just doesn't how it doesn't work like that, you know? Like DeAndre Hopkins earns that role. He doesn't get it gifted to him because of a of a position he plays. Exactly. That. You you could have won playoff games last year starting Wayne Gorman and Jeff Wilson because they were both studs because they got the volume when when because of the injuries at the position. So Taking and, a, and there's arguments too. Sorry, just one more. There's arguments too that can be made against that too. Like, oh well, someone has to pick up Wayne Gallman. Like, it's not like you're the only one who can get Wayne Gallman, or, uh, or you know, there's the Jameson Crowders out there that won a lot of people weeks because of his boom weeks, or Brandon Cooks when he went off. So there's arguments of both sides. I just I tend to fall with you and what you're what you just said. I like that safety more. Yeah. So taking, a, I guess, a, a 180 and, and focusing more on the rookie side of things, obviously we're, we're in rookie hype season. There's there's an awful lot of you know data and, and numbers being thrown around, whether it be breakout age or you know yards between pass attempts or things like that. Are there key stats that you're looking at for specific positions when assessing rookies? Or So I kind of evaluate rookies the same kind of – all rookies the same kind of way in like three basic ways in that, like I care about their experience, their age, what age they produced across all positions. I care about their market share of their stats, less for quarterbacks, but for running backs, tight ends and and wide receivers. I care about their market share, their percentage of their offense. And then I care about their efficiency. So that's kind of how I approach each position in that way. I care about age and the, at the age that they're producing when they're coming to the NFL, uh, because I think, you know, I'd rather have a 21 year old quarterback than an age 24 quarterback, just like I'd rather have a a 20, 21 year old running back versus a 24 year old running back. So that's kind of how I really approach it all. So, but specific stats, I can, you want me to to like specific stats for all four positions or is that kind of what you're looking for for that answer? Yeah. If you could, that'd be grand. Yeah. So, I guess I'll start with I start with quarterbacks last time. I'll, I'll start with running backs this time. So for running backs, I really try to paint. This is where I get to painting the picture. That's how I kind of like to phrase it. I want to weave a narrative about how I think that player is going to produce because there are different types of running backs. There's receiving running backs. There's two down running back, grinding running backs that you know are, that work on first and second down. There's there's workhorse running backs that that you know bell cow that work on all three downs. There there are just backup running backs. You know, there's just so many different types of running backs. So what I'm trying to do is through their production and their athleticism, their size, is I'm trying to profile what kind of role I think they're going to have in the NFL. And then based on their draft capital or at, or how their depth chart plays out at the NFL level, if they get that opportunity, if they can run with it and then score, you know, reach the heights and, and become an RB1 or a league winning type running back. So to do that for running backs, what I'm trying to do is I usually focus on opportunity, like um, carries per game. That's how I, I look at carries per game to kind of measure how many, like what kind of workload can they can they handle at the NFL level? Because if they usually, if you do it at the college level, you're, you're usually not going to be asked to do something at the NFL level that you didn't do in college. That's majority. Yeah, they're outliers. But majority of the time, if you couldn't, if you didn't handle the load in college, unless you were, and that's specific to, unless you're like went to Georgia, where that's a philosophy of the school is they don't want to wear out the running backs in college, then you're not going to do it at the NFL level. So then I care about those carries per game. And then I care about their receiving because receiving really is what, how you hit upside in the NFL. And so if they hit that 20 to 25 reception total in a season, that's tells me, okay, they can, they can, they can handle the receptions as well. And that talks about getting that, hitting that upside. And then also I look at total yards, total receiving yards, total rushing yards, because that kind of, that stat talks about how, like, just how, like the best running backs have high total yardage stats. That's just how it works. So whether it's through receiving or rushing, so total yards. And then I care about, to a certain extent about size. Now it's not everything, but I like to know, like, I know that a 180 pound running back is not going to be a three down workhorse in the NFL. It's just not how it's going to happen. So size doesn't mean how good they're going to be, 
but it definitely has a sense of defining what their role is going to be. So if they're smaller, usually that tells me that they're going to be more used in the receiving game. Whereas the bigger they are, they have more of a three, either at least a first and second down load or workload, but maybe a three down workload. So that's kind of running backs. Move on to wide receivers or? Yeah, yeah, if you fit that program. Yeah, so and this is when I don't really care about breakout age, except you hear a lot of people talk about running back breakout age or quarterback breakout age or tight end. And that it doesn't really work at like that for wide receivers. And breakout age, I feel like everyone, it's becoming a little bit more common when people are talking now about uh, prospects. But breakout age is basically a based the percentage of their offense, a player eclipses a certain threshold, either 20% of their receiving, the receiving game offense, or 30% of that offense is this in the season that they broke out. So for example, DJ Moore broke out at age 18 in college because he passed the 20% threshold at age 18 of his share of the receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. And it's important that when you're using breakout, just because someone broke out at age 18 doesn't mean that they're better than someone who broke out at age 23 or 21, but it's just a check mark. So I like my wide receivers to break out between the ages of 18 and 20. That's kind of how I, so that's how I've found that's the successful way to look at it. So just because, so could have, if someone was 18 and 19, they were exactly similar while using a tiebreaker. Yes, but it never works out like that because there are, there's never situations where you need ties when you're evaluating prospects. So that's why I view it as like more of a threshold type deal. And then I go to, like I was talking about that percentage of market share of their team receiving. So their, their market share of their receiving yards, market share of their touchdowns. Like some people call that a seasonal dominator rating. I don't do college dominator which is like their best and first or their, their best and last year's average together. I just look at seasonal dominator rating uh, of each season at based compared to that of successful NFL wide receivers. I'm getting, I'm probably getting a little too technical here, but <laughs> essentially, so I evaluate that and then through yards per team attempt, like how many receiving yards per team attempt is another great stat. And then I, then I get, that's how I kind of do wide receivers. So it's, it's interesting hearing you talk there that you're using breakout ages as almost like a box to be ticked rather than sort of assessing, a, as you said, a, an age 18 breakout age as better than age 20. I've, I've not heard um, people use that sort of as almost like a, you know, you talked about size and weight for running backs almost as a, you know, a, a, a checkbox to tick off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because what happens is, is that it's just age is not a talent. Like, you know, but where you're born in the calendar has nothing about your talent. And so 20.4, yeah, it might help you in a model. Breakout age 20.4 might help you in a model. But when you're actually evaluating prospects, you're comparing apples to like one to another, breakout age is not as effective. And so what I find is like when I talk about painting a picture, I'm trying to paint as like, what are they an early breakout or a late breakout? Were, were they a, were they a, like, were they, were they a eight? Do they have great age adjusted production that increased and got better each year? And they just were really productive wide receivers or are they underproductive wide receivers? Were they, and just trying to pick them into different categories. And then once I identify them in that category, then I'll compare them to other wide receivers like that who enter the NFL. For example, it's I, I'm more likely to compare DJ Moore to uh, like a Rondale Moore because they both had early breakouts, age adjusted production, and a young draft age. Com- then comparing Rondale Moore to Calvin Ridley, who had Ron- Calvin Ridley had a late breakout that which was out of his control because he entered college late, and but he was got he was productive. Like that, and I'm not going to compare Brandon Ayuk, who was a JUCO transfer, to uh, like let's see, I'm uh, the wide receiver. Uh, let's see, I'm not going to compare uh, anyone to T Higgins. I'm not going to compare T Higgins to Brandon Ayuk because they both have different. They're both they're different types of players because they their career path is different getting into the NFL. Yeah, so it's much more effective to compare apples to apples than apples to oranges, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and and. Taking wide receiver and running back, I think for me, they're probably the most obvious in terms of I can look at 
the data, I can look at the stats and, and try to start to build, as you say, paint that picture of what type of player they are and what their production is. Do you find that looking at the same as you talked about with the NFL quarterbacks, do you find that challenge again, looking at the data for projecting college quarterbacks? So, yeah, I, I do love painting the picture for the, for the, the, for the, uh, sorry, for the college quarterbacks. I had a terrible college prospect uh, process as long as three, like as soon as two years ago, I just looking back now, I despise it. But now I really like it because I'm doing that. What you're saying, building a picture. I'm trying to classify it like the things we're talking about experience, age, and their efficiency. I'm, I'm still doing that, but I'm just doing it a little bit differently. Whereas I look at based on those three categories, I look at how much experience they have now with COVID. It's a little bit different because there weren't as many, you know, some players didn't couldn't play because the seasons were canceled or they opted out. But in general, I like to have 35 to my threshold, usually 40 games played for a quarterback that, that if you have over 40 games played, you're experienced under 40, you're inexperienced and experience show experience is kind of a fill in for a lot that goes into quarterbacks because you're just more opportunities to read defenses, make changes at the line. It's just, a, it encompasses a lot of skill experience encompasses a lot of skills. So I was going to say it's the old Bill Parcells model of he he would only draft quarterbacks that were a four year starter in college because he thought that if you hadn't started four seasons, I heard you... Bill Parcells. I think that's exactly how Bill Parcells looked at it too. Um, I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I was just saying. So yeah, the Bill Bill Parcells model was that he wouldn't draft any quarterbacks that didn't have four years of starting college experience because he believed that experience was the number one trait of any quarterback coming into the NFL. Whereas I still, I don't say four years. I just want the games to play. I don't need the four years because some, you know, there's a why would they want to waste another year in college? You know, you miss on things if you don't do that. So I don't do, but I think the same principle is built on that is the experience is a big deal. And then moving on from experience, the eight. So I classify it. Are you experienced or unexperienced? And then are you experienced? As an, are you an experienced or inexperienced older quarterback or younger quarterback? So are you under 22 years old or over 22 years old? And, or So that's kind of because I found that older, older quarterbacks don't, they have inflated numbers of inflated efficiency because they've been in their programs for so long that they're, you have to just adjust for that. So compared to younger quarterbacks to, with experience, those are usually the be, the better quarterbacks. It's your Trevor Lawrence's, your, Andrew Lux, your just those type of players were they they got the starting job younger and earlier age, and that that way. And then the big thing too is efficiency. There's a lot of different ways you can measure efficiency. QBR using ESPN's QBR is one way to do it, but what I really like doing is AYA, like I do, like I mentioned for the NFL, but it's adjusted yards per attempt, which takes in their yardage their touchdowns, interceptions. And that's just a, I like it over, is it over nine or under nine? That's so, and if, that, if that's how it is, then I classify them either as inefficient or efficient quarterback. So I can basically say is a quarterback, are they, so let's take Trevor Lawrence, for example, he's a young quarterback who's experienced and was efficient. And also the one last piece is, do they have any rushing upside? Trevor Lawrence has some sneaky rushing upside as well. And that's why he's a lot of people's number one, because he, meets all of those requirements. That's just how I break it down though. That, and Jim Sonis from number fire and FanDuel. That's really his process that I have adapted. So I should, I shouldn't say that I, I created that idea, but I, I really have taken Jim Sonis's approach to heart. Okay. And do you account for draft capital in, in all of this? I guess that's across all positions. Are you looking at landing spots or, or do you throw either of those out or? Yeah. Draft capital is huge for me. It just totally changes. It's just a stat when, or an input, when you input draft capital, it kind of talks about what you're talking about earlier with the NFL. They have so much information, their stats, their data is just, and their scouting, their resources is so much more than mine. I, I could never begin to dream of have the skill, the talents of everyone at the NFL level and draft capital essentially is a, marker for basically incorporating all of that skill energy money that goes into it. And so when I affect, when I 
put all of these inputs together, like their age, their draft capital, their college production, their efficiency. That's how I get the, you get the best available process. That's how you hit on the most players. Another keyword too, is you miss on the least as well. People often get too focused on hit rates. While I also, sometimes, it, you know, it's all great that you can, all the, it's so high, not needs a big thing. About and, and what about tying landing spot into it? Are you concerned about landing spot? Does it affect your kind of tiering system or rankings at all? So landing spot to me does not, it's, I think in, in my, in my humble opinion, I think that it's five, per, if it's making up more than 5% of your process, I would, I would question it because What's going to happen is you're forgetting the principles of, of the entire process that goes into it, of the, the things I just talked about, of their production, their efficiency, their age, their draft capital. That's what we've been shown to be predictive. We do not see, like, there's been studies done of, like, how much available volume when they're uh, based on landing spot. That does not, that is not predictive of how well they're going to do in the NFL. What's more predictive is, is the things that I've been talking about the so far today. So what happens is, and we're, you're going to miss on the AJ Browns. You're going to miss on the Justin Herberts. You're going to miss on the, uh, on Jalen Hurts landing behind Carson Wentz. So is it going to break? Is it good for breaking ties? Yes, but I'm never going to let it be a major driving force for me because we see, we, we all play fantasy football, Rich. We're, we're very bad at predicting the future. <laughs> like, it, or else we would have, I, we would have all the top 24 wide receivers correct every year. We would know who the top quarterbacks are, who the top tight ends, and we know all that stuff ahead of time. And now you want to predict what their situation will be like in three years when they're actually hitting their prime? No, no. Like nobody factors in off-field behavior too and, and injuries and like different coach. Like no one could have guessed that Tom Brady wasn't going to be for the New England Patriots. Like who would have thought that was happening? So there's so many things that we don't know. And it's, I think it's an, a little bit too much confidence when you play too much into thinking that we know what's right and how, what that's predicting the situation. So why not we just know what we do, focus on what we do know, and that's their college production, their draft capital, their, you know, and their athleticism and, and those kind of things, I think should be much more important. And, and do you think that, the, the draft capital point, is that more predictive or, or more useful for you at certain positions or do you weight it the same across, across all the position spectrum? Or? So you use it a little bit differently depending on the position. So for quarterbacks, it's more top, th- you know, or for quarterbacks, it's almost like top 10 quarterbacks versus late versus, um, quarterbacks from 15 to 30 in the first round to second round quarterbacks. So you have to break it down differently. Whereas wide receivers, I view it as if you're uh, rounds one through three, then you're making a checkbox. Now, obviously I'd still rather have that wide receiver uh, drafted in round one than round three. But if you're drafted around three, excuse me, you're not going to be written off because you're round three, because you still meet that threshold that I care about and running backs. Probably running backs is the most uh, is probably the most important thing for running backs is draft capital in models and evaluation process. Using college production is almost elite that is directly tied or is directly tied to volume and volume, which we didn't really get too much when we were talking about NFL veterans for running backs. But volume is king for running backs. So let's look at this year's draft class. I've I've been following your your kind of rookie previews that you've been releasing over on, on Rookie Fever. Are there any guys that you absolutely love this year? You're kind of much higher than consensus at the moment, or or not? I am bananas for Rondale Moore, and actually I should say Jamar Chase as well. But Rondale Moore has a special place in my heart because I think. One, I think people are kind of starting to catch up now as the athleticism is coming out. But I should say, wide receiver athleticism is overrated. In that, wide receiver, I it just doesn't matter as much wide receiver athleticism because what I'd rather t- 
it's nice to have athleticism, but it's overplayed. But what we're seeing is that Rondell Moore's moving up people's draft boards because he's doing these insane things when people shouldn't care to the fact that he broke out the age 18 over 30% of his offense and was extremely productive in a power five conference. So I really love me some Rondell Moore. And then also to Trey Lance, where he's going, he's going around the 108, 109 in Superflex rookie drafts. And you're telling me a guy who is extremely efficient throwing the ball. And I know he is at an FCS school, so not a division one school, or I shouldn't say division one, not a power five conference school, but he's got the body size. He's got the efficiency. Doesn't have quite the experience because of COVID. And there was his school, his season was canceled because of COVID. But that combined with his rushing ability, he's got such an incredible rushing upside compared to that where he's going at 108, 109 in drafts. I just, I start drooling over that upside of, well, hey, if Trey Lance is, doesn't hit one, he's still going to have a decent floor in that he's going to give me rushing yards every game for a couple of years before he, he, if he fails out of the NFL. But if he hits, he's going to have that Kyler Murray, that Lamar Jackson type upside that we've seen to be league winners. And to get that at 108, 109, a rookie draft is just unbelievable. Yeah, my, my dream for Trey Lance is that he's going to get drafted to a situation where he's not a, a year one starter and he's going to be you know, somewhere, it's not going to happen, but somewhere like a Pittsburgh where it's an obvious quarterback who's going to be starting for year one. And I think that you could end up getting him in the second round this year if because uh, people are going to not want to wait for a year and if, if that happens i'm confident i'm going to draft him in pretty much every single one of my leagues and i love hearing you say that and i like that you know you'd love to see that kind of well i should say we'd love to see it but what we've seen justin herbert everyone was oh tyrod taylor he's not gonna get any opportunity year one and I, of course like this is what, what i mean about we don't we can't predict the future who would have predicted that a nfl training staff would have uh, punctured tyrod <laughs> or tyrod taylor's lungs and given Justin Herbert to have a rookie of the year type campaign. Nobody, but it happened. Baker Mayfield was behind Taylor again in Cleveland and Baker Mayfield was starting and was very close to winning rookie of the year award, his rookie season after breaking the rookie touchdown mark. So let, let's remember if these teams are drafting these quarterbacks in the top end of the first round, even if they have a Ben Roethlisberger or a Teddy Bridgewater I, I'm struggling to think of other teams that have established quarterbacks at the top end of the draft, but that kind of capital says the team is investing in them to be their quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's the reason why I'm trying to buy as many Jordan love shares as I can at the moment on the cheap, because I think at some point he is going to be the starting quarterback up in, uh, in green Bay. Yeah. So that, then, but then when it comes to Jordan love, I just throw that out the window because I thought he, he I didn't like his profile. He, I didn't like, he wasn't, so I actually kind of overlooked that because I thought people were kind of overlooking people were ready to people were ready to write Aaron Rodgers off last year. Yeah. I, Where, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't love Jordan Love as a prospect. I don't love Jordan Love as a player. But if I can get a, a first round a rookie that was drafted with a first round pick in the NFL for essentially a third at the moment, then uh, then yeah, I'm absolutely buying that. Yeah, yeah, because people who were drafting Jordan Love early, they should have been prepared to wait him out for two, three years. And you're finding people don't have the patience. Even no. the people who were saying that when they drafted them, they're already ready to give up and they're tired of holding on to him. Exactly that. Exactly that. So thank you so much for coming on, Dave. I appreciate we've had some, uh, some internet issues. That's my end. I do apologize, but uh, it's been fantastic. In terms of, um, I guess, sort of people who have heard this uh, are wanting to get more into the kind of data side of things. Where's what are some resources they could use? Where would you advise them to go to kind of read more and, and find out more? Well, I should say Dynasty League Football is a great all. It has everything. It has the film side. It has the data side. It's got some great tools. I highly recommend it. Deal Dynasty League Football, but Rotoviz is also a. I love Rotoviz. They've got some of the sharpest minds in fantasy football writing and building tools at Rotoviz. I I. I paid for DLF. That was one of the few subscriptions I paid for before joining DLF, but I've always paid for Rotoviz because it's just top notch. So that's a great way to get the advanced analytics. Also, Peter Howard is a great person to subscribe to his Patreon, to watch his, listen to his Dynasty Crossroads uh, podcast. There's Peter's doing a lot of great things and he's, he's so approachable and willing to teach and help you learn 
And JJ Zacharyson, who's a little bigger, he's his podcast is great, short, easy to consume. And he also writes for Number Fire occasionally. So JJ Zacharyson is also. And then after I get to throw another 300 or so different names, and then we'll just skip over those 300 names. And then also myself, you can always find, I have a lot of free resources where I have my college prospect database, which we've talked about tonight, which has over 2000 prospects dating back to 2003. That it can, you can get any type of stat essentially that you could imagine is there for free. And then I have a seasonal database that is also free that has every possible metric that you could want from routes to evaded tackles to completion percentage in a clean pocket to just yard, simple ones like yards, yards per carry. It's got everything that you could want in it as for free. And it's also sortable. So you can look at it from weeks like three to week six. So there's a lot of things you can do with that. And then also my NF, then this is all, I'll do the pitch of my Patreon, which Rich is a part of the NFL database is I, I personally don't think people use it enough because I, it has everything that I possibly could care about in it. And I'm adding some new things like evaded tackles to it that I have, that I've just recently found data for. And I think it's an incredibly useful tool and has everything that you could possibly want all in one place, data back to 2009. So that's kind of, if you're looking for more stuff, you can always reach out to me and I'm hundred percent willing to answer any of your questions. Yeah, guys, if, if you're not following Dave, by all means, go ahead and do it. You, you should be. It's at FF underscore Spaceman. But I cannot tell you enough. I'm, I'm As he said, I'm a, a paid up Patreon member and it's the best money I've ever spent because uh, Dave is incredibly approachable. Um, but also the resources that are available there are absolutely fantastic. Certainly, you know, the reason I stumbled across Dave last year was the uh, the NFL database that he talked about that he puts out weekly with the most incredible stats and it certainly helped me timeless times rather than me scrolling through countless websites trying to find everything i know everything's on dave's spreadsheet and it is very very useful that really i love hearing that i honestly just trying to people just anyone finding anything useful that i do is really cool because the, you know it's it's part of the community in fancy football rich you know it's about meeting people learning and that anyone can use the stuff that i like to provide it just it's really awesome. I've had a great time talking to you tonight. I know we did have the internet issues, so it was a little bit tough on my part to hear exactly what you were saying, but I had a great time and I'm glad this happened. I'm glad this happened because I've, I've had this start. I told the wife, Hey, I'm podcasting today. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm busy. So this was a fun, it was, it was like a, yeah, it was nice. It was something to look forward to this weekend. Awesome. Well, thank you ever so much for coming on. I'll, um, I'll be sure to try and get you back on again. Um, at some point hopefully we can sort out the interview issues for them but uh, thank you so much Dave it's been fantastic and uh, we will be back again next week a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.